Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where I'm going to need you to look right here. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. You you want me to look at the red light? Where the hell am I? Ninety-four episodes, and I just got to make a Men in Black joke. A what joke? Never mind. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I thought about like how long could I keep up the ruse of Emily has wiped my memory, and I now no longer know where I am or what I'm doing or okay. what a podcast is. But here's the thing: the neuralizer specific like wipes specific memories. It's been one week since you looked at me. Shut up. I was gonna say it's been at least twenty years since I've seen Men in Black. <laughs> It's been like four months. Um, also, you must see the new Men in Black. I was just gonna ask: Is that one any good? It's I've... not groundbreaking. Like, is it fun to watch? Chris yes, it's uh, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson fight aliens. They're perfect. They they're very funny together. It's great. And uh, Rebecca Ferguson is in it. And <gasps> I mean, yeah, exactly. You know. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not gonna win any Oscars if we even have Oscars <laughs> this year because I cannot name a single movie that came out this year that wasn't Trolls World Tour. Maybe that one will just win all the Oscars. It should. And the McElroys for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy. Mm. One as one unit. One collective Oscar. <laughs> Alright, so this is an episode about aliens. Specifically, this is... You've tried to explain this to me before, and I still don't entirely know what you're talking about. Okay, so this is the one thing about UFO research that I actually find interesting in the way that you find, like, Reddit threads about creepy things kids say interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's high strangeness, which is a term coined by UFO researcher uh, and author J. Allen Hynek to describe bizarre occurrences surrounding UFO phenomena. Which I'm going to, like, I have a collection of stories of these that I will tell you. And I think by the end of it, you will kind of understand the concept of what high strangeness is. Right. I immediately think of, like, all the John Keel nonsense surrounding the Mothman. That's exactly what it is. Great. I'm glad you're covering this and not me. There was a reason I left all of that out of the Mothman episode. I mean, that's when I decided I was going to do this episode. And, um... If anyone is left wanting for more, apparently Littlefinger from Game of Thrones stars in a show called Project Blue Book, which is about all of this stuff. I'm gonna have to watch it. And I will also do an episode about Project Blue Book in the in the future, because that is Ooh, yeah. it's a thing. Um, okay, so what I've done is compiled a few stories of weird shit, which include Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, which is alien abductions. That's Twilight Zone. Yes, it is. Are you trying to do X-Files? I don't know what I was trying to do. <laughs> I've seen like a season of X-Files and I enjoyed it, but I could not tell you what the uh, the theme song is. Uh, no, I got it in my head now. I'm not going to sing it. It's I'll, It'll be obnoxious, but continue. It, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to sing it either. <laughs> Look, you are all already singing it in your own heads. There's no reason we need to sing it into the mic. <laughs> Just build your own story. If you don't know what the X-Files theme sounds like, maybe go look it up on YouTube. Um, all right. So 
I am almost definitely going to miss your favorite detail, or my sources will say something different than what you think is true or what you know is true. Sorry, that was really aggressive. And that's why (laughs) you should leave us a one-star review with the details that we forgot. Anyway, so my sources might say something different, but this is kind of like a clips show uh, of an episode. So... Yeah, stuff will get left out. Things might be different. That's the way the anal probes, and I'm not going to talk about it anymore. (laughs) Oh, boy. This is going to be an experience. And I'm also not going to try to debunk anything. At least I haven't specifically researched debunking (laughs) any of this stuff. I, I will, in good spirit, I will try and refrain from doing the same. I am going to present these stories as they were presented by the person who experienced them. So taking what they say and not digging into it too deeply, that kind of thing. Because that's what this is about. It's about creepy weirdness. And it it stops being creepy and weird when you start pointing out stuff like, she was a Christian, so that's why she thought that. It doesn't matter. It was clearly sleep paralysis. None of this is sleep paralysis. I can guarantee you that much. <laughs> so I'm going to give my sources as I name the story because I don't want to give away the farm. Uh in what's coming up, if that makes any sense. Yes. Okay. So my sources for the first story are uh, an article on history.com called How Betty and Barney Hill's Alien Abduction Story Define the Genre. And that's it. And Wikipedia for uh, Betty and Barney Hill. Just assume Wikipedia, I think. (laughs) Generally, can we stop citing Wikipedia when I feel like it's accepted that we are going to reference Wikipedia at some point in our research process? All right, so our first story is Betty and Barney Hill, which is the first recorded incident of alien abduction. Not the first sighting, the first abduction. Not first alien sighting, you mean, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're technically a whole episode on their own, but I'm not going to do whole episodes on abductions because I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) So this is the condensed version. All right. At the time of their abduction, Betty and Barney Hill were in their late 30s, early 40s, led what seemed to be very standard suburban lives, aside from the fact that they were an interracial couple in the 60s. Uh, They both both held quote-unquote respectable jobs as a postal worker and a social worker, and they weren't the sort of people to just make this shit up. So Very standard folks, yeah. Yeah, two responsible, intelligent people. On the evening of September 19th, which... When does this episode come out? Uh, Very... The 19th is... The 19th is a Saturday. 23rd. Okay. So four days ago, I guess it would have been 59 years ago. I'm not going to do year math in my head. Whatever. Sure. Anyway, so on the evening of September 19th, 1961, just south of Lancaster, uh, New Hampshire, Betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the moon and the planet Jupiter upward to the west of the moon. As they were on a uh, car ride home from Canada at the time, Barney kept driving, and Betty reasoned that she had only seen a falling star, except for the part that it moved upward. I mean, falling stars can do that. If sure. If they bounce just off of something. See, the world is sometimes flat, upside down, and so like what you're seeing is, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a really dumb explanation and failing even at that yep uh since it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter betty urged barney to stop the car for a closer look as well as to walk their dog uh once they stopped betty got a pair of binoculars to get a better look at the lights she observed a quote odd shaped craft flashing multicolored lights travel across the face of the moon 
Because her sister had several years earlier said she had seen a flying saucer, Betty thought that might be what she was seeing. Barney also took a turn with the binoculars and saw what he thought was a commercial airliner traveling towards Vermont. That is very specific knowledge to have, Barney, but I'm not here to judge. It was probably one of those two things. Just wait. <laughs> you think that's the strangeness part? This is just the interlude. However, he soon changed his mind because without looking as... As if, <clears throat> because without looking as if it had turned, the craft rapidly descended in his direction. This movement caused Barney to realize, quote, this object that was a plane was not a plane, unquote. <laughs> and they quickly got back into their car and returned to driving. Because aliens or not, that was weird. Not going to deal with it. Just going to drive away. That's exactly how I would react. I would just like, you know what? I'm not going to be here anymore. <laughs> I was listening to Spooked the other day. And this lady was describing, like... But what if I did see a ghost? Like, wouldn't that be awful? I'm like, I don't know. Like, no, just a ghost. <laughs> this is why, like, the more, like, ghost stories I hear, it's like, but the ghost isn't doing anything. Exactly. Like, I, I was... get that it's scary, but, like, no, like, real, quote unquote, real ghost stories ever, like, people are very rarely harmed by ghosts. Yeah, I mean, unless it's, like, causing you to not be able to breathe or, like, fucking with your stuff, like... I don't give a shit. Like, cool. It's like, okay. Like, I get. I guess it, it would be, like, disconcerting to see something that you cannot explain. And, like, there's that element to it. But generally, I'm like, what's scary? <laughs> what is scary yeah. about the ghost? I mean, I guess I don't want a lady in a black dress hanging out in my bedroom when I'm trying to sleep. But, yeah, it's like, what if I go into the house and see a ghost? I'm like, then you saw a ghost, my man. It's yeah. fine. Anyway, those aren't aliens. I don't yeah, think. That's a tangent, but continue. Uh, the Hills claim that they continued driving on an isolated road, moving very slowly in order to observe the object as it came even closer. At one point, the object passed above a restaurant and signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain and came out uh, uh, came out near the old man of the mountain, which is a cliff rock formation in the shape of a man's profile. Oh, yeah. I think it, like, disintegrated a couple years back. I wouldn't know. I didn't look that far into this rock formation, but... Oh, and it's just a thing I've aware of just keeping tabs on geological formations in new hampshire i think i saw the story of like it was this thing like on the side of a mountain that looked like the profile of a man's face but like you know erosion is a thing and it's probably people mess with it because no not aliens (laughs) people mess with it because it's really popular and famous so like a couple years ago it just kind of like crumbled off the side of the mountain and it made a news story that i saw and I just absorb this information into my brain and then it stays there. And then I just know that the man in the mountain collapsed. Anyway, Betty stated that it was the craft was at least one and a half times the length of the granite cliff profile, which was 40 feet long. And it seemed to be rotating. The couple watched as the silent illuminated craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. So researchers note, aliens can't drive. Like we accept this, right? Yeah, no, every story I've heard, they seem to be, like, running around very erratically. I was going to say, it's always darted around erratically. It's never came to a smooth stop and parallel parked. (laughs) I don't know, maybe they drive differently on, you know, Quaxar. I don't know. At some point later in their travels, they said the object began quickly descending towards their car, causing Barney to stop in... I almost introduced a new character. uh, (laughs) Causing Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. The craft hovered silently approximately 80 to 100 feet above the hill's Chevy Bel Air and filled the entire view of the windshield. 
The shape, Barney said, reminded him of a, quote, huge pancake. Uh, with a pistol in his pocket, Barney got out of the car and moved closer to the craft. Using the binoculars again, Barney claimed to have seen 8 to 11 humanoid figures wearing shiny black jumpsuits and black hats who were peering out of the windows looking at him. In unison, all but one figure moved to a panel on the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. The one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and said, telepathically, I believe, stay where you are and keep looking. Okay. Uh, red lights on what appeared to be batwing fins began to telescope out of the sides of the craft, and a long structure descended from the bottom. You know, like in Men in Black. Mm-hmm. The silent craft approached what Barney estimated was within 50 to 80 feet overhead and 300 feet away from him. Barney noped the hell out of this and ran back to the car. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do, too. He told Betty in an alleged hysterical state, they're going to capture us. He saw the object move again, this time directly above their car. He drove away at high speed, telling Betty to look out for the craft. She rolled down the window and looked up. Almost immediately, the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing sounds, which they said seemed to bounce off the trunk of their vehicle. The car vibrated and a tingling sensation passed through the hills' bodies. The hills said that they then experienced the onset of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dull. A second series of beeping or buzzing sounds returned the couple to full consciousness. They found that they had traveled nearly 35 miles south, but only, but had only vague, spotty memories of that section of the road. They recalled making a sudden unplanned turn, encountering a roadblock, and observing a fiery orb in the road. After arriving home, the Hills stated that they experienced odd sensations and impulses that they could not explain. Betty insisted that their luggage be kept near the back door rather than in the main part of the house. Their watches would never work again and Barney said that the leather strap for the binoculars was torn, though he could not recall tearing it. The toes That's a of lot his... of weirdness. What? It's a lot of weirdness. Oh, yeah, it's about to get weirder, too. Not this next sentence. I don't want to, like, amp it up, but, like, in a later <laughs> paragraph. Uh, the toes of his best dress shoes were scraped, and, like, scraped on the top, not, like, on the sides. <gasps> That's so weird. <laughs> uh, they took long showers through possible contamination, and each drew a picture of what they had observed which I'm sure I'll find something to put on the Instagram to that effect. Yes, please do send for the slideshow. After sleeping for a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothing she had worn during the drive in her closet, observing that the dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. There were shiny concentric circles on their car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Betty and Barney experimented with a compass, noting that when they moved it close to the spots, the needle would whirl rapidly. When they moved it a few inches away from the shiny spots, it would drop down. Hold on. Minnie, what? I can hear her. She's so cute. Just like, hello. Minnie, I'm trying to talk about aliens, bud. Hi. Uh, bye. A series of disturbing dreams and other problems led the Hills to seek psychiatric help. Between January and June 1964, under hypnosis, they recounted the landing of the UFO, the emergence of its occupants, their abduction into the craft, and separate experienced medical examinations. During the examinations, the beings removed Betty and Barney's clothes, plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. Each sample was placed on a clear material like a glass slide. Needles connected to long wires probed their heads, arms, legs, and spines. Later, alone with the leader, Betty had asked where the craft had flown, admitting that she knew little of the universe. I mean, yeah. The being I could say the same thing. Like, yeah. Alien could tell me what star system they're from, and I'd be like, cool. <laughs> Great. That's not ours, right? Uh, the being joked with her, saying, if you don't know where you are, then there wouldn't be any point telling you where I am. 
I mean, also fair. Later, under hypnosis, she drew a star map shown to her on the ship. From memory? Under hypnosis. So. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Betty lived until, like, 2006. Barney died in 1969 of a stroke. Huh. Yeah. That sucks. Anyway, that's Betty and Barney Hill. That's weird. It, it's it's very strange, even. Yes. You might say. Um, this next one. I, I mean, these are all my favorite. That's why they're in the episode. Obviously. You, you didn't, like, pick out one that you hated. I mean, I wasn't, like, Betty and Barney Hill's weird, but it's not, like weird but i feel like as it is the first one recorded uh it was important to talk about for sure because well because otherwise like sure we had roswell and stuff but and i'm not saying this is like aliens are real like please however this is two people in their 40s just making this shit up i mean i could give my opinion but you would have to like i don't want to ruin the episode i don't want to be the buzzkill all the time. I mean, they could. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It just, I mean. I guess I would consider more that, like, they hadn't made it up necessarily, but that because they underwent hypnosis, possibly, like, some memories got oh, no, more for or less sure. implanted. Yeah. I mean, or when, exaggerated. When hypnosis starts, like, that's where it kind of gets iffy. So, I mean, yeah. it might not be as intense, but, like, Barney did not like talking about this. Like, he refused to talk about it for a very, very long time. Um, and even then, like, he didn't really, like, he didn't give interviews and stuff. Yeah. Um, he hated it. It was just a man who wanted to be left alone. Yeah, I would say, it doesn't sound like a fun experience to have. No. No, it does not. I mean, none of these do. Like, I, I don't think I've ever heard of an alien abduction scenario. It was like, yeah, we went to Chili's, and then they Had showed me space. fun. Actually, the one that we're about to talk about is kind of along those lines. So anyway, we're going to talk about the Andresen Affair. Cool. This Which is, is the not abduct- <laughs> something I'm familiar with. Like it's, Betty and Barney Hill, obviously. I've heard of them. But Yeah, uh, this is the abduction of uh, Betty and Drayson. Uh, so my sources for this are uh, uh, encyclopedia.com and uh, Alien Research uh, Wiki. Well, it's hard to find information on. I think J. Allen Hynek wrote a book about it or someone wrote a book about it. Um, but I didn't have time to read the book, nor could I find it at the library. I was just saying to, we had a bonfire with Liesl and Matt and Molly the other night and talking about the whiskey episode. And it's like, that's the last time I'm going to read a book for the podcast. Cause that took a long time and I had too much information. The, like I told you earlier, the problem with UFO research is that, uh, everyone wants you to buy their fucking book about it. Yeah, that also tracks, but I did my best. On the evening of January 25th, 1967, Betty Andresen was in her kitchen at South Ashburnham, Massachusetts. Her seven children, mother and father, were in the living room. At about too si- many children. Yeah, she was fun and one of the less Christian, if that helps you. Oh, oh, yes. Okay. This this is good context to have going into the story. I mean, Thank I was going to talk about it later, but <laughs> for, for child context, like, that's what's up with that. At about 6.35 p.m., the house lights suddenly blinked out for a moment. Then a pulsating reddish-orange light began to shine through the kitchen window. Now, as I was writing these on Monday, when our power was flickering and the light outside <laughs> was reddish-orange, it was trippy. That, uh, that's good timing. A pulsating reddish-orange light began to shine through the kitchen window. While Betty uh, calmed the children, her father went to the window and observed a group of five small humanoid creatures approaching with a hopping motion. The creatures entered the home, passing through the wooden door. Like 
ghosts. Didn't open it. Just went through it. Not so not Kool-Aid man style, ghost style. Yes. Okay. Just just for clarification. Continue. I like to do it Kool-Aid man style. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, Betty's family was immediately placed in suspended animation, leaving Betty to be approached by the head of the group. The leader was about five feet tall, and the others were about four feet tall. They had large, pear-shaped heads, wide cat-like eyes with small ears and noses, and their mouths were, quote, immobile slits, unquote, that reminded Betty of scar lines. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Each wore a blue jumpsuit with an insignia of a bird on it and a little belt. A bird? A bird. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Like this okay. is a, this is another one of those things where like if you want to know just the full extent of how fucking weird this is, there's a good last podcast episode about it. But I'm just here to prime you all. Uh ba ba belt. Their hands had three digits and they wore a boot-like shoe, though they floated instead of walked. So I'm picturing like one-legged, and that's hence the hopping. No, I think I think what uh, her father took as hopping was them floating. Okay. You know, because it's kind of like a, a balloon almost is how I picture okay. it. Yeah, so yeah it, I can see that. It might have looked like hopping from a distance. Yeah, okay. Uh, Betty's initial fright was immediately calmed by an overpowering sense of friendship. Uh, when she displayed concern for her family's welfare, welfare, the creatures temporarily released her 11-year-old daughter Becky from the strange state of uh, suspended animation to assure Betty that she was all right. That's nice of them. Yeah, these are pretty chill aliens, like, honestly. (laughs) I mean, I would assume so if they have birds on their uniform. No evil person ever, like, has adopted the signal, the symbol of a bird. Um, hmm. (sighs) (sighs) It took me a second, but I saw where you were going. I actually have no idea where I was going. I'm sure I'm being, like, facetious in some way, but I can't think of a good example. The Nazis? Birds? Yeah, they had an eagle. Oh, the eagle. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. God, I thought you knew that's what you were doing. (laughs) I mean, I was being, like, fake sarcastic for the sake of being fake sarcastic. I didn't have, like, an actual point behind it. No, I mean... None of my comedy is on purpose, Emily. (laughs) If I'm ever funny, it's purely by accident. I know. (laughs) Uh, Betty was then taken outside and brought aboard a small craft resting on the side of the hill that sloped into the backyard. Uh, the craft was about 20 feet in diameter, and it looked like two saucers, one inverted on another, with a small superstructure on top. That was really weird. Minnie, is that you? I'm losing my fucking mind, Sarah. <laughs> Something on my desk shifted and made a sound and scared the ever-loving shit out of me. <laughs> This episode is going to oh, end with you being abducted by aliens. No, it was Minnie jumping up on the uh, printer behind me. Get down, <laughs> please. It's always the cat. God. Or is it? Because it's when you when you think it's the cat when it's not is when it's not the cat. These cats are the reason I'm going to be murdered by a fucking demon at two o'clock in the morning. Because I'm going to hear something in the kitchen and just be like, it's the fucking and roll cats over. again. <laughs> Uh, so the small craft accelerated and apparently merged with a larger parent craft. On board the ship, she was run through a series of tests that included probes of her body with a needle and removal of a small object from her nose uh, via a needle inserted into her nostril, which has the implication that this isn't her first rodeo. Yeah. I was going to say, how did whatever that is get into her nose? Right. Uh, She next had a visionary experience induced by... What I think is described as a hallucinogenic cough syrup. 
Like, that's how she described the liquid that these aliens gave her that launched her into these hallucinations. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, So she had a visionary experience of traveling into other worlds where the beings wore black hoods and there were lemur-like alien creatures wandering around. That sounds adorable. They led her through a silver portal to a world where everything was green and there were distant cities and a pyramid with a head on the top. This is quite the trip. (laughs) She saw a large bird burst into flames and fall into ashes. Like a phoenix. Phoenix. But bird. But alien bird. Finally, from the ashes arose a large gray worm whom she, a Christian, saw as God. Some very heavy dune flavor here. (laughs) Uh, I need to finish watching that movie. I started watching it and like I was into it, but Travis was like, I can't handle (laughs) I can't handle this. He is not as big of a David Lynch fan as I (laughs) am. This, yeah, completely tracks. I think Inland Empire, like, deeply, deeply scarred him, and he's never recovered. (laughs) Congratulations, you broke him. I didn't make him watch it. (laughs) That was on his own. Um, Anyway, so she met a large gray worm who told her that she was the chosen one. Uh, The events aboard the ship closed with a final lecture by the lead uh, creature who identified himself as Quasga. That is a name. Yep. Uh, He told her that if humans didn't change their ways, that they would destroy themselves. All of that fun, like, be good to each other. And we listened and everything is fine now. Correct. Um, And then he also told her that she would forget what had occurred for a little while. He also told her that he and his companions loved humanity and had come to help. Uh, Humans needed to study nature to rid themselves of their self-destructive tendencies, and they left her with a book which she examined several days later, but only remembered in 1977. As you do. Later that night, at 10.40 p.m., Betty was returned home by two of her alien captors. At home, she found her family still in a state of suspended animation, with one being having stayed behind to watch over them during her absence. That was nice. Like, you don't want to just just leave a bunch of people frozen. Kicked back, reading a magazine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he probably picked up the bible oh actually there was part of the story that was like too convoluted for me to really get into in a, a narrative where she when they first got there she realized they were friendly and she offered them food so she they said that they liked burnt food so she like tried serving them burnt beef and they were like no we need uh food tried by fire and something like that and she finally got that they were looking for like knowledge so she brought them the Bible. Uh, okay. Like I said, it was too convoluted for me to be able to, like, handle in this segment. Yeah. So, yeah, he was probably reading the Bible. <laughs> um, then the beings put the family to bed, uh, still under some kind of mind control, and then left. Uh, several times over the course of her time with them, the aliens had told Buddy that certain things had been locked in her mind. She was instructed to forget them and her UFO experience until the appointed time. She consciously remembered only a fraction of the encounter. The power failure, the colored lights, and the aliens entering her house. And then later, hypnotherapy, all of that came out. That explains a lot about the story. Yeah. So that's that's the abduction of Betty Andreessen. That is definitely a level of weird I have not heard for a while. See, you're starting to get high strangeness. It's just yeah. that, like, It's little... just the completely bonkers. Yeah, like, why? where would you even think <laughs> Come about up with that? that? God, under hypnosis. <laughs> okay. I would kill for a David Lynch-directed film about <laughs> Project Blue Book. 
I, I'm just thinking now, like if we put you under hypnosis, like the weird kinds, just the weird shit your brain would come up with, <sighs> just given all the like Lynchian influence <laughs> in the Stephen King books you've read, like, can you even imagine the horror story? <laughs> it's not good. Um, and actually in the book, um, the secret history of Twin Peaks they actually do tie in some alien sightings and some Men in Black stuff and some Project Blue Book stuff to the lore of Twin Peaks, which, so, I mean, it's already there. Like, David, or, uh, David Frost? Mark Frost, sorry. Uh, Mark Frost, who co-created Twin Peaks and wrote the book, oh, yeah. is already, like, on track for that. Like, they've already worked alien lore into Twin Peaks, so I think <laughs> just need to give David Lynch the money and let him <laughs> just do whatever. Yep. Which is how you should do all David Lynch movies. Just give him a bunch of money and then Yeah, that's why he didn't want to do Star Wars. Like, he was offered Return of the Jedi. Mm, yeah. Spielberg was like, hey, David, you want to give this a shot? Sure. I really like Eraserhead. And David Lynch was like, no, nah, man, that's your thing. Yeah. I'm going to do Dune later and everyone's going <laughs> to hate it even though it's fine. I've never seen that. I will not pass judgment. It's a young Kyle MacLachlan. So like that makes up for everything. It makes up for everything. And Sean Young from uh, Blade Runner is in it. So just some very attractive people in space. I think Sting is in it too. Why not? Not important. Let's talk about the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. Oh, Emily. I love this. I love it so much. Um, I'm going to hold my tongue. Continue. It's my favorite alien encounter story because it's so backwoods Kentucky. <laughs> um, so my resources for this are uh, a history.com article called How the Little Green Men Phenomena Began on a Kentucky Farm and a Thought Catalog article. Um, nope. That Thought Catalog article is for the next group of stories. So, Emily, I suspect I feel the way about the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter the same way you feel about Mothman. Here's the thing. I know it's bullshit. I do. But as a story, it's amazing. It's pretty fun. I will give you that. <laughs> it's it's like a scene from Men in Black. Like, just the reaction to it. Because this is not an encounter of the fourth kind. I believe this is a third kind. Oh, yeah. Because, like, kind of, close encounter of the third kind is you make contact and you see, like, an actual alien. Yeah. But fourth kind is abduction and yes. being taken away. I think first is craft, second is being with no connection, third is contact with a being, and fourth is abduction. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't have any. And if we're wrong, leave us a one star review. Explaining. <laughs> Explaining how we didn't do the reading. <laughs> All right. On the night of August 21st, 1955, straight up bananas shit went down at the Sutton family <laughs> farm outside of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Residents of the farmhouse included Glennie Lankford, her two young children, Lonnie, Charles, or three young children, Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, two sons from a previous marriage named Elmer Lucky Sutton and John Charlie J.C. Sutton, and their wives, Boy, Kentucky. their wives, Vera and Aline, Aline's brother, O.P. Baker, and Billy Ray Taylor and his wife, June. Both the Taylors, Lucky can and... Can you Be send me a list of those names so I can add them all to my baby name list? Of course. Both the Taylors, Lucky and Vera Sutton were reportedly carnival workers that were visiting the farmhouse. <laughs> so that is all to say. 
had about I won't s- pass judgment, but the carnival worker thing does add just a nice yes, level it, of it color was, to yeah. the story. It was like the sprinkles on the Sunday. <laughs> At about 7 p.m., Billy Ray Taylor was fetching water from the backyard well when he saw a silvery object that he described as, quote, real bright with an exhaust all the colors of the rainbow, unquote. It came silently towards... you want me to do the accent for this? Yes. You have to. If there's any more quotes, I'll do the accent. Um, It came silently towards the house, passed over it, stopped in the air, and then dropped straight to the ground, which I... It's hilarious in my head, because it's, like, gently floating and then just... That's definitely a drunk alien right there. (laughs) That's just terrible at driving. This is a story of drunk aliens, pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah. An hour later, alerted by their dogs barking, Lucky and Billy Ray went to the back door and made out a strange glow, in the midst of which they spied a small humanoid creature. About three and a half feet tall, it had a, quote, oversized head almost perfectly round, its arms extended almost to the ground, its hand had talons, and its oversized eyes glowed with a yellowish light, unquote. I don't know if that was the right part of the South. It it was a perfect Southern accent, which you will... We all know you are perfect at. Of course, I can do Southern and I can do Midwest. (laughs) The body gave off an eerie shimmer in the moonlight, they said, as if, quote, made of silver metal. And this is where it gets perfect. The two men grabbed a 20-gauge shotgun and a twenty-two rifle and fired at the little man. Its hands now raised if it's held up at gunpoint as it came towards the back door. I mean, as you do. It reportedly then did a, quote, flip scrambled upright and fled into the darkness uh, uh. shortly after the men saw a similar creature appear in a side window and fired through the window screen still impervious to bullets the little man again flipped then disappeared i went out in the hallway and crouched down next to billy when i saw one approaching the door mrs Langford told isabel davis author of an extensive report called close encounter at kelly and others of 1955 it looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. It was a shimmering, bright metal lack on my refrigerator. You're right, the accent really did add to the last quote. Yeah. The drama escalated when Taylor stepped outside under the small overhanging roof, and those behind him saw a claw-like hand reach down and touch his hair. They pulled Taylor back while Lucky shot above the overhang and then at another similar creature in a nearby tree. It How floats has not the- been made into a movie? It's an episode of Project Blue Book. It floated to the ground and then scurried into the woods. The Suttons moved inside and spent several hours listening for movements, hearing most occasional, mostly occasional scratches on the roof. At 11 p.m., the whole group ran for the cars and headed to the Hopkinsville Police Station. <laughs> After the local police chief called for backup, his team was joined at the Sutton Farm by state police, military police from nearby Fort Campbell, and a photographer from the Kentucky New Era. There, investigators found shell casings from the gunshots, but no other evidence. Neither could they find proof of heavy drinking, as, uh, uh what's her name? Mrs. Langford said that alcohol is not allowed in our farmhouse. <clears throat> Once the police and others left, though, the creatures returned between 2.30 a.m. and daybreak. Mrs. Langford said that she saw one glowing repeatedly by her bedside window, its claw-like hand on the screen. That is a chilling image after all this hilarity. Now, like, I, I s- would not enjoy waking up to that. No. Um, and I said I wasn't going to try to debunk this. It's owls. It, it was, was big owls. owls. It was big owls. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know I said I wasn't. 
But also, is it not great that they were shooting at owls? I love the idea that, like, they couldn't hit them, so therefore they were impervious to bullets. (laughs) And not just, you know, owls. It was owls, guys. Sorry. It's always owls. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is what I mean. I feel the same way the youth do feel about Mothman. It's an owl. It's It's either owls or it's a big bear with mange. Like, those take care of most of your cryptids. So lastly, it's going to get creepy. Ooh, yay. We're going to talk about the men in black. No, I'm not going to do the Twilight Zone. Galaxy Defenders. Yeah. (laughs) I've had that song stuck in my head for like a week. Good. All right, so... Here are a few stories about the men in black who aren't actually a very handsome man in a black suit and also Will Smith. An interesting way to describe, not an incorrect way, but an interesting way to describe Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) I was writing it because I was going to say, and Tommy Lee Jones, but it was funny the other way. I'm also going to take out this like behind the curtain bit where I explain my joke. (laughs) Anyway, so men in black are either government spooks set on silencing people or something else. Maybe aliens? Well, the men in black always appear unannounced, are usually clad in black business suits, and warn people to give up their research into UFOs or face dire consequences. In some accounts, there are aliens themselves, or some form of, quote, demonic supernaturals. Because why not at this point? They might also be tulpas created by a guy named Albert Bender, but I don't want to talk. Actually, I will talk about it later. Oofadiva. Okay. Story number one. Or sub-story number one. Dr. Herbert Hopkins was working as a consultant on a UFO case in Maine. One evening, he received a phone call from someone purporting to be an activist in the UFO community, asking him if he could visit Hopkins to discuss the case. Only minutes later, the man arrived. I don't know how you're an activist in the UFO community. I guess if you really want people to know about UFOs and you're loud about it, I don't know. I don't know. The man was wearing a black suit and black tie and had a very unusual facial appearance with no hair or eyebrows and an extremely pale figure. Hopkins' dog began barking erratically the minute the man entered the home. After the bizarre visitor was finished questioning about the UFO case, the visit got even stranger. The man informed Hopkins that there were two coins in Hopkins' pocket, which was correct, and asked him to remove one. Hopkins did and held the coin, a penny, in the palm of his hand. The man told Hopkins to watch the coin closely. After a few minutes, the coin took on a, quote, silvery appearance and then appeared to be going out of focus. It then began to fade and eventually disappeared altogether. The man informed Hopkins that the coin would never be seen, quote, on this plane again. He then inquired as to whether Hopkins was familiar with alleged UFO abductee Barney Hill. Hopkins replied that he had heard of Hill but was under the impression that he had died in the not-too-distant past. The man informed Hopkins that was correct. Barney didn't have a heart, said the man in black, just like you no longer have a coin. It should be noted that Barney Hill actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage. So nothing to do with his heart? Nope. Uh, The man then gently suggested that Hopkins destroy any material he had related to the UFO case. Hopkins, extremely shaken by the encounter, followed the advice of the man and burned all the files he had related to the case. While he had repeated phone phone troubles afterward, he never saw the man again. So was the coin thing some sort of, like, intimidation? Yeah, I think okay. it, he was implying that uh, he would make his internal organs disappear if he kept uh, investigating. I mean, that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. It's a no-eyebrows thing that gets me the most, though. Yeah, I don't think I have the story on here, but there was also one 
where... Hold on. Yeah, there was also one where a man of a similar uh, look as the one described in the story uh, went to visit another UFO researcher, and he noted that he had really, like, bright red lips. But as he continued talking, he kept rubbing his face, and he realized that the lips were just painted on, and he just had, like, a slit. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, men in black are fucking terrifying. I very, I keep thinking of, I can't remember what exactly the term was, like the watcher or something from Fringe. I have actually never seen Fringe. I've heard very good things. You would enjoy it. I never finished it, but like I watched the first couple of seasons and always really liked it. I always picture the gentleman from Buffy. That Uh, I'm not familiar with. It is the most terrifying episode. Uh, Ask Sadie about it sometime. Um, All right. So story number two. Uh, Dr. Albert K. Bender was a well-written and extremely intelligent researcher who founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau. Or the IFB. That does sound very official. The IFSB. IFSB. Oh, sorry. Flying Saucer is two different words. Uh, Yeah, I guess. Fine. Also, if you want to have a good time, look up UFO acronyms. (laughs) I think there's one called Najufro. Like the New Jersey UFO research office that's come up with a better name yep okay in 1955 uh his research was about to break through as he prepared to unveil a paper that would prove that the u.s government had to one degree or another covered up proof of ufos this is i believe shortly after roswell which we all know was caused by jack parsons performing the uh babylon obviously He, yeah, didn't he pull in that UFO from, like, another plane of existence and it crashed? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Obviously. Obviously. He planned to publish his findings in the Space Review, which is a magazine that he started. That was until the man in black showed up. Bender claims that three men dressed in all black visited him at his home and warned him against pursuing the topic of UFOs any further. The men left Bender scared for his life and he immediately shut down all his research in the Flying Saucer Bureau. Many people who knew him claimed that Bender was a changed man after this encounter. His later works were rambly, almost unreadable, and he seemed to live his life in constant anxiety and terror. He purported to still receive mysterious phone calls with nobody on the other end until the end of his life in 2002. I'm, I'm really trying hard not to debunk this, but that sounds a lot like mental illness. Maybe. He also had very severe OCD. Something to consider. Well, one of the stories that he did have about citing the, the men about because he was seeing a movie and he like, at a theater uh-huh. and he looked down the row and he saw just two like pulsating red eyes at the end of the row and it was a man like crouched down at the end of the row watching him oh i hate it yep all right story number three john keel <sighs> <sighs> yeah that one with the mothman prophecies which i had a copy of and did not have time to read and i couldn't find it like a synops synops sip sim- synopsis 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 of the mothman prophecies anywhere that's because it's just a lot of nonsense john keel took note of multiple encounters that suggested the men in black phenomena might involve creatures that aren't actually alive many of these experiences suggest that the mib may be androids or robots created by a highly intelligent alien race sure a very unusual encounter happened to the christensen family of wild uh, wildwood i don't have the state new jersey sure Uh, Shortly after a UFO encounter occurred near the Christensen family's home, a very strange man from the, quote, Bureau of Missing Heirs, as in H-E-I-R-S. Oh, yeah. You know this? The people who get get your money when you die. Oh, yeah. Came to interview the family. 
One of the Christensen's called him the strangest man they'd ever seen. The man was huge, towering six feet tall and weighing at about 300 pounds. I don't know how they knew that. That's, I mean, sure. His skin was very white, his eyes seemed unusually large, and his government-style black suit was poorly fitting. When he sat down, his pants only reached his calf, which was about when the family noticed that he had a large green wire coming out of his leg and running into a sock. Definitely a robot. The moment he's... Oh, not a wire at all. Uh, the moment he spoke, the family was shocked to hear his high-pitched, metallic, monotone voice. He introduced himself as Tiny, and when he spoke, it sounded like his words were memorized and practiced. The Christians noticed that he was very sickly-looking, so they asked him if he needed something to eat. He declined but asked for, quote, water in 10 minutes. Then he began to interview the family about the family's interests, which clearly had nothing to do with missing heirs. As he asked them questions, his face became redder and redder. Worried, the family gave him water. He grabbed the water, took a large yellow pill, and quickly returned to his white pallor. He then left, being picked up by a black Cadillac that drove without its lights on and no driver. The next day, a woman called the home to say that the missing heir had been found and to forget about the UFO incident that they saw. That's bizarre from beginning to end. <laughs> Hi, strangeness! And our last story. Dan Aykroyd has come for... <laughs> Oh my god. Dan Aykroyd has come forward with a story about how uh, when he was taping his show about the paranormal, he stepped out to take a phone call. Uh, when he he noticed a black Ford parked across the street, a tall man stepped out of the car and stared him down. Aykroyd turned away for a moment and then turned back to find that the man in the car had completely vanished. After he finished his phone call, he returned to the studio to learn his show had been canceled and he was ordered to stop filming immediately. It was definitely the men in black who canceled his TV show and not the network. Dan Aykroyd is super into paranormal stuff and aliens. This is what I've heard. Yeah, he actually, I believe, started writing Ghostbusters around the time that the Einfield haunting was being recorded, uh, because Gozer was the name of one of the spirits in the Einfield haunting, uh, and also in Ghostbusters. Right. But yeah, he's super into aliens. Um, not like Tom DeLong level. Like, he, he can keep it together. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's Those are my stories of high strangeness. That was not the episode I was expecting. Yeah, High Strangeness is literally just bizarre shit that happens around UFO sightings. Because hmm. um, I was going to do, like, how the term came to be and, like, what led to it. And it's just J. Allen Hynek needing something to describe, like, Barney Hill. Just <laughs> all the, yeah, associated yeah. weirdness. Yeah. High Strangeness. Mm -hmm. Well. God, my cat is losing her goddamn mind. <laughs> She's had a night. Um, so if you have been abducted by aliens, uh, please tell us. We are on Twitter at Afternoonified, uh, Instagram at Afternoonified. Uh, you can email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. You can go to getafternoonified.com where we have, uh, old episodes, merch, contact, all of that stuff. Uh, the merch is real cute, guys. Go real get cute. some merch. Proceeds go to Black Lives Matter. Yes. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, review, only if it's nice. <laughs> I'm doing my best, guys. Like, I, I mean, do the reading. You can't. <laughs> we'll take criticism, but just email it to us so we can have a conversation about it. I was actually very, very worried about doing this episode because of um, the missing 411 situation. Oh, but, God. You know, once bitten, twice shy. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's all I got. Don't get abducted by aliens or creepy men. Or Bigfoot. Definitely don't get abducted by Bigfoot. <laughs> 
Bye. Bye. We love you. I'm going to need you all to roll plus charm to do the ad. That's a five. I got a ten. Eight. All right, Travis. Buddy can manage to get out the name of the show, but not much else. Monster Pod. Sadie, Jimmy is going to be able to get out the premise, but you didn't roll high enough for any spoilers. Monster Pod is a real play Monster of the Week podcast where four government-employed idiots try to save the world. Sarah, Thomason rolled high enough to finish the ad. Releases every other Friday here on So Below Media. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.